Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, growing your own fruit and vegetables, garden design, pest control and container ideas. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, Chef Mary Berry discusses her passion for gardening, preventing pests in your garden in the autumn, and, as always, advice on seasonal problems and tasks to tackle in your garden. But first, as regular listeners will know, once a month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of our advisory team answer your gardening questions from around the UK. So let's join my colleagues in the advice office to hear some of the queries that have been sent in this month. My name's Rob Sterling and I'm one of the horticultural advisors here at Wisley. My name is Guy Barter and I'm on the horticultural advice team here at Wisley. My name is Tony Dickerson. I'm also a horticultural advisor here at RHS Wisley. Right, uh, we've got a letter here from Kate Aldersley uh, from Leicester. She wants to know what can be grown on a balcony. It's big and gets sunlight, but it's pretty windy. Is bamboo the best option as a screen? Well, Rob, what about bamboo? Um, yeah, bamboo is uh, is quite uh, uh, nice uh, in in, a, in an exposed windy spot, um, uh, particularly some of the the uh, fountain shaped bamboos such as Fargesia or Chisquea. Um, they tend to keep a, a nice sort of clump shape, so they, you know, would be more amenable to container um, uh, growing than some of the other bamboos which uh, tend to run. But um, I mean, there are some other plants as well which um, which would be uh, quite useful to to consider. Um, evergreen shrubs such as Euonymus japonicus, um, um, which is the Japanese spindle um, uh, tree. Um, looks uh, can look a little bit like uh, privet um, with a serrated leaf edge and it comes in a variety of variegated colours. Um, the um, uh, Another plant to consider would be Pittosporum, um, Pittosporum tenuifolium, which is um, a, tr- a tree from uh, New Zealand that again comes in a variety of, of uh, leaf fo- colours according to variety. Um, sometimes has quite a black bark so it's uh, quite uh, interesting from that point of view and the, f- the flowers once it's mature are burgundy and they smell of chocolate um, and it would do quite well in in a windy site um, another new zealander is oliria macrodonta which um, is a, a a new zealand daisy um, tree or shrub um, has a, a white daisy type flowers um, masses of them um, in the summer so it's very ornamental um, another plants to, to perhaps consider would be things like bromeliads um, um, they would like the, the sun and the, the exposure um, high, uh, hardy bromeliads um, such as uh, fascicularia bicolor is really unusual it has grassy type foliage um, and then when it flowers um, the, it has a rosette and in the centre of that particular rosette uh, the flower uh, head appears and it's uh, sky blue in colour and around the, the flower head the leaves turn brilliant scarlet so it's extremely ornamental and requires very little care um, doesn't like very much food and it will forgive you if you forget to water it so it'd be ideal um, for, for that situation 
Reading a little bit further on in Kate's letter, she does actually mention that obviously looking for year-round interest, as one might expect there. Mm. Uh, but she does mention she's already growing Californian lilac, the common name for Ceanothus, and also lavender. And there's a, a clue there. Uh, a lot of Mediterranean plants have leaves which are adapted to, in particular, drought, but also windy, sunny, difficult situations. So a lot of the Mediterranean plants will be good. Rosemary, lavenders, also cistus. And uh, so they're worth considering uh, in addition there. And um, generally, again, if you're looking for plants for balconies, a lot of plants that do well in coastal areas, which by their very nature are windy, will also do well on a balcony. And the um, the RHS on its website has a very good um, leaflet um, actually on coastal plants where it suggests um, quite a few different genera that, uh, that you can choose from. Mm. Uh, and Guy, I guess planting on balconies, we're talking about containers and uh, such like. I mean, what sort of con- considerations do people have to make uh, when they're actually thinking of planting up things on balconies? Well, it is windy and uh, plants do dry out and uh, things can get blown over. So we're, you're really talking about weight and stability. So pots that are not too tall um, in relation to their width and fill them with something of reasonable weight, like a soil-based compost. Some of John Innes ones are, are widely offered. Number two or number three would be just fine. Um, also, if you're going to be away from home a lot, consider installing an automatic irrigation system that will give them a drink um, while you're away from home as well. In the winter, it can be there's no, it can be a slightly different, but um, not dissimilar. What happens is the pots can freeze, and then evergreen plants, which will give you year-round interest, can be desiccated by the cold winter winds. So, it's worth considering uh, having a facility to insulate pots in the winter. Other than that, it can be very successful on a balcony as long as you remember to keep the root zone in good condition. And that involves every year taking off the top couple of inches, that's five centimetres of the compost and replacing it with fresh. And every two or three years repotting. If you're going to put plants back in the same pot, then take off about a third of the roots and compost and replace it with fresh compost and uh, your investment in nice plants uh, should remain healthy for many years. Okay, the next question is from John Sanderson in Matlock in Derbyshire, and he's asking where he can get interesting varieties of fruit trees and also to find out about their provenance as a variety. Well, I guess here the starting point might well be the RHS plant finder. I I think uh, off the top of my head that there's well over 700 different apple cultivars or varieties uh, listed there and of course the other big advantage of the RHS plant finder is that you can also find the specialist nurseries and it is a case with fruit Uh, you can get it at a whole range of garden centres and also indeed even supermarkets sometimes of the year but if you go to a specialist someone who actually has spent years uh, growing and nurturing and propagating these plants they'll be able to give you the uh, expert uh, advice uh, and also perhaps advising on local uh, cultivars, local varieties, because certainly around the country there are many particular uh, varieties that have been grown for centuries, which uh, sometimes are very well suited to local conditions. There's also a particularly good website called um, orangepippin.com, um, which um, is um, uh, very dis- has very descriptive information about um, apple varieties in terms of where, where when they were created, um, what their characteristics are, what they taste like, what pollination group they are, etc., etc. And um, 
not only does it cover a multitude of apples, but it also um, has uh, information on other fruit trees such as plums and cherries as well. So that's really well worth um, worth going for. And, and Guy, if people are actually choosing, shall we take apples in this case, what sort of things should they bear in mind? Um, well, I think there's two things going on here um, that Mr Sanderson is interested in. Um, he wants interested, interesting varieties. Some of the more interesting varieties are not that productive. Um, so it needs, you need a balance or you could grow a lot of fruit trees that are not particularly productive. So for the productive ones, think about the, the ones that got the Royal Horticultural Society Award of, um, Award of Garden Merit. Um, and for the interesting ones, um, it's really uh, huge interest nowadays in local cultivars, local varieties. And uh, in many counties, there are there are um, apple groups, orchard networks, and such like. Now, I did a little searching on behalf of Mr. Sanderson, and I can't find anything for for Derbyshire. But that's not to say there isn't something. And he might like to contact a, gr a group who have a website called Orchard Network, um, and uh, find out a, a bit more about what um, what possibilities there are in his region. Michelle McMillan has um, contacted us via Facebook. And she has observed that her Victoria plums have a clear silicon-like jelly on them. And I think she means the fruit here. And uh, what she's observing is a fruit with a little bit of resin or gel um, sticking out of it. And she's concerned to know what it is. And I think we can certainly help her with this. Well, I think this is uh, hopefully fairly harmless. It's probably a, a sign that there's been a little bit of insect damage or whatever to the fruit. And you get this natural exuding there of the the sugar-rich sap actually from the, the fruit itself. So uh, fruit hopefully will be usable at the end of the season. Uh, so in itself, probably not too much of a problem, but uh, I guess sometimes guy, jelly and so on exuding from the stems and trunk of trees, those particularly plum trees, that can be perhaps a little bit more concerning. Yes, um, there's hardly a, a plum or a cherry in Britain that doesn't have bacterial canker uh, with sunken dead areas of the bark which are exuding a kind of resin. But in this case, this is actually an interesting resin on the fruits. And at one time there was a big um, plum canning industry and bottling industry in Britain and the uh, the jelly, when subjected to the uh, canning process, assumed a, a really nasty, disgusting consistency. So it's been widely researched. And one of the things that, uh, that is the prime cause, according to the research that was done in the, in the 1930s to 1950s, uh, was that under stress, uh, the stones inside plums can crack and that causes a release of a resin-like material. So it's perfectly harmless. Um, there may or may not be insects there. Insects um, can induce the same sort of action. But when it's widespread, it's usually down to the stress matter of the, the stones cracking and uneven growth. It's perfectly harmless, but it's probably best not to try and bottle those plums uh, because they often come out rather, um, rather poor. So to reduce the stress, it's usual to remove vegetation from under trees and apply a mulch. Plums quite like a reasonable amount of nitrogen, so a mulch of garden compost or strawy manure uh, is rich in nitrogen, uh, but not too rich, and also is, is well balanced with other nutrients, and that can help the, the plum to, uh, to have a, a more um, even growth and less uh, gel formation. But really, it's down to the weather. Some years it's a pretty desperate problem, but other years it's, it's negligible.
We have an email here from Aaron Smith. Uh, he writes, I want to try to train a clematis and a passion flower along a tall panelled fence. I have some galvanised wire to make a framework for them, but can I just knock nails or hooks into the fence to loop the wire around? And he apologises for the rookie questions. Google's advice was far too technical. Well, Guy, support for climbers. Um, you can certainly um, knock in nails and staples and all sorts of things. The climbers aren't fussy. Um, they'll grow up anything. I feel that um, a climber is such a nice investment, such a long-term thing. It's worth taking a few pains, though. And one way of doing it is to have eye um, bolts, which are a little circle of metal on the end of a screw uh, thread that you screw into um, posts, and that holds the wire out a bit from the wall. And those, I think, are a very good investment. Um, It's nice to do a nice, smart job, and you can often get little turnbuckles, which are are like little winches, miniature little winches that you wind up to make the wire look nice and taut. And it's worth investing for the long term, I think, in those. Having said that, um, there's a very good case to be made for uh, going for something even smarter and perhaps uh, attaching some trellis to fencing uh, that will be so much easier to manage uh, than wires. I also quite like uh, wires that are, are vertical. So it may, your fence may or may not mend it, lend itself to this, but rather than having the wires horizontal, um, they go along, they go from top of the fence to the bottom. And uh, that also makes it difficult for intruders to climb over your fence. They can use trellis and wires as ladders, but uh, vertical ones give you that much more security. So, um, the, so to, to sum up, the plants don't mind, but there's some, some, some attractive options for you to consider. I do hope that's not too technical. The important thing is to have a go, um, because uh, it's better to have climbers than not, even if, um, even if it's not uh, perhaps the most workmanlike job and support. I think the other thing um, to remember is that uh, um, since it's a tall fence, um, climbers, once they, they put some bowl cod, can actually you know, have quite a lot of weight to them. Um, <clears throat> and particularly in wind, um, can cause quite a strain on whatever uh, frame you, you use. So the key word really is ensuring that it's uh, strong um, and fairly sc- strongly secured to the fence so that the plant is permanently and, and securely attached you know and it doesn't blow down in any any strong wind or winter storm remember rhs members can contact our advice team by phone email or letter for free help with any gardening queries there's more information about all aspects of plants and gardening techniques on the advice pages of the rhs website plus general gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. On the website, you can also find details of events and activities happening in our four RHS gardens. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens and click on what's on, then events diary. Coming up soon. Come to RHS Garden Hyde Hall on the 13th of September from 11am to 1pm to find out from RHS experts timely advice on what you can be doing in the garden. Learn about cutting back perennials, protecting tender plants and dividing plants to increase your stock. Learn how to garden with ornamental grasses. Come to RHS Garden Rosemore on the 18th of September from 11am to 12.30pm for a guided walk led by RHS experts who'll give you tips on how to grow grasses successfully. You'll also get a comprehensive plant list that you can use for your own garden. 
Fancy learning more about carnivorous plants? On the 19th of September from 10am to 12pm, RHS Garden Harlow Carr hosts an introduction into the fascinating world of carnivorous plants. There'll be an illustrated talk and you'll then have the opportunity to create a mini bog garden with three of these wonderful plants to take away with you. Be sure to head here to the Wisley Flower Show, which runs until Sunday the 7th of September. It's a floral extravaganza featuring the National Dahlia Society annual show and more. Browse and buy from RHS Chelsea and Hampton Court Palace Flower Show medal winners, along with other specialist nurseries and garden trade stands who will be showcasing their top quality plants and garden sundries. Here's Sue Biggs, Director General of the RHS. Oh, it's wonderful. We've just opened it with the great big Mary Berry has been here opening it with a four foot high, beautiful flower cake designed by Simon Lysett, which is just beautiful. And I've just finished walking around the first first round of it. It is beautiful. There's so many stands here, stalls, plants, flowers, shrubs and the most amazing collection, the largest collection of dahlias in the world. I think what's lovely about it is the size of it. It's very easy to meander around and have a lovely day here. Uh, You can buy all the plants here, which is also lovely for somebody who's just replanting her garden. Like me, it's a wonderful place to go around, talk to the plant nurserymen and really be able to buy plants, buy things for your gardens and talk to our expert advisors about any problems you're having at the moment. I have to say that the National Dahlia Society show within this is just spectacular. The colour, if you think autumn is a quiet time in the garden, go and have a look. And then on the stands, I love grasses, so I must admit the grasses will always hold for me in the echinacea. And then all the bulbs and the herbs and the shrub, it's just beautiful. So many wonderful things to come and see. We were really over the moon that Mary Berry, who's our most recent ambassador, agreed to come and open the Wisley Flower Show for us. She was just wonderful this morning. Her books will be on sale during the show. And as an ambassador, we're very lucky because she will promote the work of the RHS as a charity. Our work in schools, our work in science, our work in local communities. So it was great to welcome her here this morning. Mary has been a member of the RHS for more than 30 years and is now an RHS ambassador, helping share her passion for growing your own fruit and veg and encouraging others to grow their own produce at home too. Well, I'm very excited to be asked to be uh, an ambassador of the RHS. Um, I've been visiting this garden uh, for 30 years. I've been a member um, of the RHS, which... um, I think is enormous value. It means you can come into the garden at any time, two of you, and if you have any problems, uh, like naming a rose or uh, you get blight or something, you can bring that particular item uh, and they'll give you the answer on how to put it right. I want everybody to know that the RHS is a charity and it does great uh, work with schools. One third of the schools in Britain ha- have gardening as part of their children's education, and, and many of them have parts of the school as garden. I think that uh, we should all know where our food comes from, and what better than growing it yourself. And I will say, grow the things that you enjoy. Um, whether it's herbs or vegetables or even flowers, but grow the things that you like best and that aren't too difficult to grow. 
Um, I've come to Wisley at all different times, and as it's so big, I think it's 200 acres, there never seems as though there's a crowd there. Um, I head for the big, long border. It is magnificent, and uh, I usually try to go at different times of year, and I've always got a notebook and pencil, because it gives you an idea what to grow in your own garden, the heights of the plants, and uh, you can choose the actual variety, and the joy is on the way out. If you go to the plant centre, you should be able to buy that plant too, which is good. Um, that's, I think, my favourite part. I love the meadow, I love the water, um, I love the woodland section. I always like to come in the growing season from, from spring. It is lovely to walk through the woodland part and, uh, you know, first of all you see the primroses and then you see the spring cyclamen. And, um, and then it's the bluebells. You know, it, it is very exciting. There's always something going on here. Mary Berry. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS and the many benefits members receive, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Tickets are still available for the Wisley Show, which runs the 7th of September. Visit rhs.org.uk forward slash shows. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. For those gardeners who, like Mary Berry, grow their own fruit and vegetables, autumn is a key time both to harvest, attack key jobs in the kitchen garden and lay the groundwork for the coming year. We joined Oliver Wilkins, team leader of Fruit, Vegetables and Herbs at RHS Garden Wisley to find out what his team are working on now. So it's the start of September and it's finally started to um, get quite sunny again. The last few weeks have shown tinges of autumn and we've started to see a few more disease problems creeping in. We've had mildew on our tomatoes as well as blight on our tomatoes and potatoes and we've seen those sort of crops really start to go over now as the autumn approaches, which is a bit of a shame and caught us out a little bit, but we've still got a good harvest from them. The herb garden's doing well. Our basil is still going strong. No signs of a frost just yet, so we'll keep harvesting from those and we'll keep looking after our squash in the ground that remain. Um, but as they start to get a bit raggedy, we'll start to take those out and mature the crops uh, in a glasshouse if they're winter squash and if they're summer squash, then we'll use them fresh. The orchard is looking great. We've been harvesting apples for about a month and a half now. Um, we've got our early season apples that have finished and we're into our mid and late season now. I would say it's about a two week to three week early season, which in some respects is quite good. It means that we can get the harvest in ready for, for autumn. And at this time of year we're starting to think about our summer pruning of trained fruit trees, so that's apples and pears predominantly. Summer fruit pruning, well here we use a system called a modified lorette, which actually sounds really complicated but it's very simple. It basically means that on any trained form of apple or pear tree, so a spalier or step over, cordon, we reduce the extension growth, the growth that's come on this year, to about two buds or one bud beyond what we call the basal cluster, which is the cluster of leaves at the start of the growth. Um, and we do that at this time of year so that we ensure that there's no regrowth that we then have to cut off again. So. An easy way to know when your tree is ready to be summer pruned is if the terminal bud, is if the final bud on that extension growth has gone hard, that means that the, 
the tree is no longer putting its energy into vegetative growth and it's now looking at bud formation for the coming year. So that's really important. We're also thinking about, as we're removing crops as autumn approaches, we're also thinking about trying to put in green manures to cover the ground for winter. So we're looking at things like clover, winter tares and Italian ryegrass that will act as a great source of natural protection for the ground over winter and what that does is it stops any nutrients leaching out or too many nutrients leaching out from the soil with the winter rains and also if you've got a difficult soil like a heavy clay putting on a deep rooted green manure can really help break up that difficult soil when you come to turn it in so that can be a benefit there as well. There's more information about growing your own fruit and vegetables on the advice pages of the RHS website. Or why not download the RHS GYO app, which gives you helpful hints and useful reminders of what to do with your veg to help you get a bumper crop rhs.org.uk forward slash iPhone. If you're planning to tackle some of those autumnal gardening jobs, here's some suggestions of tasks for this month. My name is Matthew Pottage. I'm the garden manager here at RHS Garden Wisley. So my top tip for September is that now is the time to take advantage of a rare combination with the soil and that's warmth and a bit of heat and also moisture. This is one of the few times of year when it's really great for root establishment. So whether or not that's tree planting, planting of hardy shrubs or division of hardy plants, plants that aren't going to sulk and struggle through the winter. So I love to divide my hostas this time of year, for example. I can see exactly where the clusters of leaves are. The soil is warm, there's moisture in that soil, and it's a great time for moving, planting, dividing, and anything else you think, you actually, I want to freshen up that border. And in the spring, soil can often dry out quickly. If you divide in the spring, that's fine, but you often have to commit to watering through the following summer. But we can stay warm until, you know, end of October into November if we have a mild autumn. And there's still warmth in the soil for a while, even when the frosts start. So if you can get in there and do any divisions now or any planting now, I would highly recommend it. Get down to your nursery, pick up a packet of mycorrhiza root grow, plant it in with the plants, off they'll go this time of year. Fabulous. Hi, my name is Mario and I look after the vegetable garden here at RHS Garden Wisley. And September for me is one of the best months. Uh, the days are still very long and the temperature is not too bad and it's really inviting to go out in the vegetable garden and work. And there is a lot to do. The second early potatoes and the main crop potatoes should be ready for harvesting. And uh, also there are crops like onions uh, that can be stored for the winter and they should be out of the ground by now. The other important thing to remember at this time of the year is the um, planning for next year and start to plant things like at the end, towards the end of the month, start to plant for things like garlic. There are some cultivars of broad beans that can be also sown at this time of the year. Uh, the one that I was quite mm, pleased with is one variety called Luz de Otono, which means autumn light, and can be sown as early as September. And other crops that can go in the ground now include potatoes for Christmas. So there are some varieties of potatoes which have been kept in cold store by the suppliers and put for sale at this time of the year and they can be planted straight away, they don't need cheating 
and they should be ready for harvesting around Christmas time. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Andrew Salisbury, Senior Entomologist at uh, Wisley. This month, it's really time to start thinking about controlling vine weevil grubs. If you've seen the uh, characteristic notching from the adult weevils, it's time to think about treating your pots and containers with a nematode or a pesticide to kill off the grubs so they don't eat your roots over the winter months. Uh, vine weevil grubs, when they're, they're fully grown, they're white, C-shaped things with a, a brown head and no legs. Um, they're often found uh, around the roots of plants, particularly plants in pots and containers, and they will devour the entirety of the root system over the winter months. Another pest which becomes prevalent in the autumn are chafer grubs in lawns. Uh, these, when they're fully grown, they're, they're big, uh, two and a half centimetre long, white, C-shaped grubs with uh, a brown head and three pairs of legs. And there's a couple of species which are found in turf uh, and where they feed, you can often get birds of the crow family or foxes or badgers can come in and dig up the turf. Unfortunately, by the time the turf is being dug up, it's too late to do anything. Uh, but at this time of year, it, maybe have a look under the turf and see whether there are any grubs present and think about using the nematode biological control. Well, we're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with a special podcast recorded at the RHS Plant Day at the Cotswold Wildlife Park. Until then, from me, Jenny Bowden, and all the podcast team, goodbye. Goodbye.